No one was harmed in the filming of this sequence. The shit you and your friends do in a pub is what I do and somehow get paid for it. That's my natural hairline there now. Comedians are, yeah, we're very judgmental. I don't really think that the American people are more polarized now than they were 10 years ago. Hey there, welcome along to The Delve with me, Mike Sheridan. This episode of the show is genuinely fascinating. They all are, but this one especially. My guest is Mike Rothschild, author of the book, The Storm Is Upon Us. Taking a deep dive into the murky world of QAnon and conspiracy theories, Mike's book is almost unrelentingly informative, but always, always reasoned. When you consider the escalation in the popularity of the conspiracy theory and how former President Donald Trump is now embracing it, this is important stuff to know and I can't recommend The Storm Is Upon Us enough. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or leave a review if you're getting the show in your earlobes right now as a podcast. Enjoy the conversation with Mike and make sure to look him up on Twitter. Mike, how are you? Doing well, how are you? Thanks so much for taking the time and for doing this. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, absolutely. I'm happy to. Thanks again for taking the time to do this. I finished the book. Sure. I finished the book about a week ago and I know you wrote it. Uh, well, it came out in 2020, right? Uh, 2021. 2021, sorry. Yeah. So things have kind of escalated since then. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, I felt like, you know, maybe it would kind of die down a little bit. Maybe people would move on, but uh, they have not moved on. It is, it has gotten just increasingly worse all the time. So can you tell that by how often you're getting asked to appear on MSNBC and stuff? You're like, they're going to uh, call you know, me again. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, here we go again. Well, the whole thing uh, where Trump did the, you know, the, there was the finger pointing thing at the Trump rally. And I watch him like, oh, God, this is going to eat my whole week, isn't it? Because this is just like, it's like every time I feel like the the branding and kind of the iconography of QAnon starts to die down a little bit, Trump will do something like this where he'll boost something that's directly linked to kind of classic QAnon. And it kind of feels like it starts all over again. And, and then you know, it'll die down a little bit. And then I'm sure it will come back again as we get even closer to the midterm election here. So how, where do you think he is of QAnon and what it is? Because I know we said before, they like me, so I like them. And we know he has an ego. I, I think that's it. I, I really believe that he is feeling very cornered right now. He's feeling like he's in some actual legal jeopardy with the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago and the whole thing in Georgia with the phone call, we were trying to get more votes from the Secretary of State. And when you are feeling like your back is against the wall, when you feel like you are uh, in a situation where the walls are closing and you turn to the people who have always believed in you, you turn to the people who are closest to you. And in this case, it's his fan base and it's the Q people because the Q people have always been there for him and they love him no matter what. So to me, it makes a lot of sense that he would go to these people because he needs to tell them, hey, I'm still here. We're still going to win. I still got your back. It's very uh, it's very like you're patting a dog on the head kind of. And how significant then do you think Michael Powell or how, like obviously he's a significant figure. Um, Michael, yeah, within QAnon, or he's at least making like kind of a big deal of the fact that he's the uh, figurehead without overtly admitting it. Um, uh, Mike Flynn. Mike know? Flynn, sorry, beg your yeah. pardon. Yeah, it's okay. 
Sir, so, on. yeah, Flynn is such a, an interesting case because he's very typical of a lot of Trump world people who have gotten caught up in QAnon in that he has outwardly supported it. He's used the catchphrases, certainly made a lot of money off it. But when it comes time to kind of pay the piper for believing in that stuff, they'll say, oh, I don't I don't know what that is. I don't know anything about that. You know, I just uh, people just put things in front of me and I sign them. And it's nonsense. But there's something with QAnon where you can both support it and claim that you don't support it. And both responses are perfectly acceptable to Q believers. When it comes to Q believers as well, you say something really interesting too in the book where you're like, these aren't all people with mental health problems. No. So, like there are people with mental health problems that believe in it, but these are just people that believe something that you don't believe. And that's the best way to kind of approach them. I know when you're talking about if a family member is queuing on and how to talk them around as it were, and it's more a case of empathy and offering support than anything else. But when we started talking about the Trump stuff, but when you look at those most recent rallies and you've got these people doing the one thing and pointing mm -hmm. up, like that, that does look like it's beyond the pale, right? Oh, it totally does. I, you know, I, I've called this movement a cult because it looks like a cult. I, you know, it changes the way that you think. It changes the way you perceive the world. It gives you a new language, a new family almost. And when you have a bunch of people sort of pointing to the sky and this sort of churchy music is playing, it looks like an evangelical service. I mean, it looks, it looks like worship. It looks like they are worshiping Trump. That's really hard to get through to a, an individual person who worships the former president in a way that America has never felt about its leaders before. We don't worship our presidents. We kick them out if we don't like what they're doing. So it, it's very hard to get through to people like that. But the people who are there, the people who are part of a movement like this, they're, they're getting something out of it. They're finding something in it that they weren't getting from their life, from their religion, from their family. And the, the sort of the worst way to help somebody out of that is to tell them, you are an idiot for believing this, you're crazy, there must be something wrong with you. Now, maybe you do think there is something wrong with them, but you don't tell them that because the only thing that they're gonna do is go, well, there's not something wrong with me, there's something wrong with you. I'm not the crazy one, you're the crazy one. I mean, think about it. Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. Nobody likes to be told that they're crazy and that they're wasting their time. So in that respect, Q believers are really just like the rest of us. And they're across the board too. You mentioned Q and moms. Am I saying that right? Yeah, these people, yeah. That, these people that got sucked into it via yoga and wellness and that, like that, like those kind of conspiracies kind of started there. And then they're end up finding themselves, these liberal women find themselves mm. looking at and believing in some QAnon conspiracies without realizing that they are QAnon conspiracies. Right. So what happened, especially during the early days of, of the lockdown, was that we're all inside now. We're, this world-changing event is going on. We don't quite understand what's going on. Our understanding of it is changing all the time. And when that happens, you start looking for the real explanation. You start looking for who is to blame. You're looking for a scapegoat. And for a lot of these kind of alternative medicine people, people who were really <clears throat> into you know, wellness influencers and, and yoga influencers and this sort of lifestyle influencers, you know, I've got all my stuff perfectly organized and here's the face scrub I use and here's the coupon for it. Those people weren't necessarily Trump people, but they are very much into big pharma conspiracy theories, vaccine conspiracy theories, anti-Bill Gates, anti-5G internet. So when you go online and you're thinking, well, somebody is doing this to us, 
I think it's 5G internet, or I think it's Bill Gates. You join that Facebook group and people are starting to talk about how vaccines are bad for you. So you join that Facebook group. Then people start talking about Q and the Great Awakening and you go, oh, Great Awakening, I, I like the sound of that. And so you join the QAnon group and you've radicalized yourself into a conspiracy movement that you didn't even know existed. And the weird in the sense that there's, there's nobody to actually blame per se, right? Because Q doesn't have a leader. We've got, and I know um, Colin Kobach from Q into the storm, he, you know, his theories, he's going to expose some people, but we don't actually know from people that aren't in QAnon, from our perspective per se, who to blame, because it's kind right. of spread, right? It's kind of groupthink. Right. And I get a lot of people asking, well, can't they, you know, can't, <clears throat> can't the FBI charge you for making these posts? I'm like, well, it's not a crime to post anonymous crap on the internet. You know, if it were, we most of us would be in prison. So it's it's very frustrating because you want, like Q believers, you want somebody to blame this on, and you want there to be a conspiracy. And there's a lot of people who think, oh, it's got to be Russia, it's got to be some kind of a plot from within, and it doesn't really need any of that. And Q works because it hits the buttons that we all have: the need for powerful enemies, the need for somebody to be in control, and the desire to do something about it. So with the, you know, the Q posts work because they're, they're crafted in a way that you know is going to have an impact with, particularly with American evangelicals. You know, there doesn't need to be a plot. So when the, the research really pointed toward, first it was Paul Ferber, who's the, the South African web programmer who was profiled in Q into the storm. And then uh, later on, it's almost certainly Ron Watkins, who's the you know, former HN admin, who then took his kind of renown in that world and used it to reinvent himself as a election fraud influencer. I mean, never mind, a guy knows nothing about election fraud. You, you pretend to be something, and then people just decide that you're that thing. That's how conspiracy cults work in general. And it's it's across the board, too. It's You see different percentages of the number of people that believe in this or that believe in some QAnon conspiracy theories. I think the last one I saw was about 70% of Americans, uh, a quarter of people in the UK possibly believe in it. Is, is that just the elements of it or is that, you know, it's a slippery slope and it's a rabbit hole and then they fall down it? It's definitely elements of it. I don't know that you will find a, a sort of millions and millions of people who have all read the Q drops and know all the catchphrases and all that stuff. But the mythology of QAnon, the sort of basic elements of it, that the all-powerful deep state, you know, bankrolled by the Jews, is running the world, and there are secret pedophiles, and they rigged the 2020 election, and they created COVID, and the vaccine will kill you. That stuff is like orthodox Republican doctrine right now. Right? You can't really find any kind of real success in the Republican Party unless you think the election was stolen and you know, masks are face diapers to denote that you're a slave and all, all this other stuff. Like you can't just be a Republican and say, yeah, you should get vaccinated and wear your mask indoors and Joe Biden won the election. You know, that makes you a bleeding heart liberal at this point. And there's so many of them as well. And like, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene's obviously kind of not, you know, she's a very much a figurehead, I think, for somebody who can end up in government. And there's a lot of people who possibly believe in QAnon conspiracy theories or elements of QAnon conspiracy theories or aren't completely, as you said, distancing themselves from them in the Republican Party running right. in, the, in the midterms. So there's, right. two, there's two possibly more that we know of in Congress now, Lauren Bopart and Marjorie Taylor yeah. Greene. And there's possibly more like, how, how worried should we be that these people are going to end up in 
you know, strong positions of power or even more so than that? Oh, I'm extremely worried. This is the thing that I'm probably the most concerned about. You know, the the idea that a few believers might commit some sort of violence if Trump is indicted. I mean, that that certainly is something I'm concerned about. But you have a number of uh, conspiracy believers, election deniers, Q believers who are running not just for the House and Senate, but for uh, governor positions and secretary of state positions. And these would be people who would potentially be certifying future elections. And there are three or four secretary of state candidates who are in very battleground states that could go either way, who have denied the validity of the 2020 election since it happened, and who have said that they will not certify a Democrat if a Democrat wins in 2024. They're, they're basically deputizing themselves to pick who wins future elections. And they haven't won yet. And you know, some of them are, are not doing that well in the polls. But the fact that any of these people are in a position to subvert the machinery of American elections is really quite frightening to me. Is election denial, denial do you think, almost a gateway into QAnon, into that full conspiracy theory? Because like you, these people are, you know, are looking probably unlikely to win a lot of the broader elections, but they've won the primaries. A good few of them have won the primaries. Yeah, they, uh, a number of them have won primaries, and some of them are running as Republicans in very heavily Democratic states and really don't have a chance of winning. But that that stolen election industry is a gateway to any number of other conspiracy theories. Because when you believe that an all-powerful deep state stole the election and that we have an illegitimate president, I don't know what you won't believe. You know, there, there's no uh, gateway to entry for anything else, whether it's vaccines, whether it's, you know, cancel culture conspiracies, you know, classic sort of anti-Semitism. You know, we're seeing these things find uh, new audiences because election denial is so pervasive right now. That's something that I see kind of happening a fair bit as well. Like in Ireland, I think it's something that happens globally in that maybe somebody said something during COVID that wasn't necessarily the thing you should say here in Carver publicly. And then that's where elements of cancel culture come into it. The one group that seems to embrace those people and that seems to say, it's okay, it's all right, is the right and the harder and harder right. Do you think that has something to do with it in that, you you know, I mean, obviously I appreciate it's a broad question, but Mm -hmm. do you think that has something to do with why so many people are itching towards the right further and further? Oh, Absolutely. I, I think the, you know, this idea that sort of, you know, progressivism is really on the march and, you know, they, they won't let you use the words you used to use and tell the jokes you used to tell. And now we have to call things by different names. And no, now a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. It, it, you feel like you, the, your way of life is being taken away from you. And if you object to it, you're canceled. You're labeled as a, you know, a class enemy, whatever it is. I think a lot of people are really drawn to that idea of sort of traditional conservatism, which of course this is not that, but they're drawn to somebody telling you, those people want to change your way of life. I want you to live your life however you want to live it, you know, where we all get to hate the same people and oppress the people we've always oppressed. And I think for most other people, it's like, hey, we just want to have everybody have the same rights and maybe not say things that are quite so offensive anymore. Maybe just use a few words that are a little bit different than what you grew up with. It's like, get over it. Just like most people are capable of changing. Just be okay with it. You will be fine. You know, it's, it's not the biggest deal. 
But for most of these people who are really drawn to these far right movements, it feels like the way you live your life is wrong and being taken away from you. And you want to strike back. And you kind of do, you know, Alex Jones is a kind of globally known figure as well. And he's always been the platform from a lot of different uh, social media sites and that too. But he's, there's almost like a sense of a conspiracy theory within a conspiracy theory with Alex Jones. Because that's something, another thing I learned from reading the book was that he, there's a vowed Q and he was like, Q is, a, <laughs> Q is another deep, like that's a Q yeah. is a conspiracy. Within. How yeah. does that work? So, you know, with Alex Jones, it's just it, it's such a special case because he he will uh, be the biggest fan of something that he then completely disavows the next day. And then he'll have a giant temper tantrum and be sort of weeping about it and asking for money. Um, I, I think he latched on to Q because he knew that he could get Q people on board his show and Q people were very into what he was doing. And there was a big response when some of the early Q um influencers went on Infowars. But then I think he realized, hey, this movement doesn't actually need me. Uh, they, you know, they don't need my uh, pontificating. And they think that I'm some sort of a, you know, Israeli sleeper agent who secretly works for the deep state. So screw these people. You know, it's like, if, if they're going to get more popular than me, well, I'm going to, I'm going to disavow them. And I'm going to pretend like the whole thing is just another conspiracy. So you know, Alex Jones operates in this world where the only thing he's going to do is what's best for him. And that just changes minute by minute sometimes. It was fascinating watching some of the different documentaries, like Fortal Fires and the Capitol was incredible. Mm -hmm. And some really good work, I think, yeah. by a lot of the news stations on the January 6th insurrection. There's a documentary on Alex Jones too. And it's watching him and watching these different groups within the, within the insurrection, people that went into the building, people that didn't people that wanted to be violent and people that didn't. It was like almost like a, it was this little like kind of look at that broader world and different spectrums. Yeah, and it's interesting because there are a lot of people who were there on January 6th who didn't go in the building and who were actually uh, re repelled by the violence of it. And that's not what they wanted. You know, they wanted to be there to support Trump, but they didn't want to break into the Capitol. You know, certainly the people who broke into the Capitol had varying motivations. Some clearly were there with a purpose. And you can see with the Oath Keepers, you know, the and the Proud Boys, the kind of gear that they had, and the you know the radios and the armor and that kind of stuff. But then you had people who were just milling around taking selfies, and, and who were just like, "Oh, we we got in here. What do we do now?" And, and I think it really goes back to that point of there not being a unified conspiracy behind all this. This is not one grand plan. A lot of this is just people making things up and, and trying to extract as much money as they can from it. And a lot of people just going along for the ride. You know, there, there is no unified command here. There's just a bunch of people who are all in this for their own purposes. And is there a worry then that the people could lean towards violence in terms of recruitment and, you know, the, the, the old keepers, the proud boys, that they could look to people that are maybe believe in the Q stuff that may have been otherwise harmless, mm -hmm. but, have been, but have that kind of anger weaponized by the Oath Keepers, by uh, the Proud Boys, by these people. Is that the real danger there? I think it's one of the big dangers. And I, you know, for a long time, a lot of the sort of militia types, the Oath Keepers and sort of more traditional right-wing militias, they really looked down on QAnon. They thought it was just, uh, you know, a bunch of boomers on their couch, you know, making memes while, you know, the rest of them were out training in the woods. But I think with January 6th and instead of the uptick in general of extremism, I think there is an opportunity by groups like the Oath Keepers and some of these other militias to say, hey, you want to do more than make memes? Come and join us. 
you know, you, you know, you're angry, you want to take it out on somebody, let's, let's work together. So I think some of those barriers between these different groups have really started to dissolve. And is there anybody, I know there's some, but is there people that have gone really far over into, Q, into that QAnon conspiracy, into that world, and come back mm. and had a clarity? Had, I know Anderson Cooper did a documentary about it too and spoke to one or two people. But is that common that people come back and it's almost like they've come out of a haze? It's very uncommon. It's very hard to find people who will talk on the record about having left QAnon behind. You know, it's still a very new movement. It's, it's still really growing in a lot of ways. And there isn't the infrastructure there of people who've gotten out who are now speaking out without fear. It's not like a lot of former cult movements. It's not something like, you know, multi-level marketing or Scientology where you have a lot of people who've left it and are now talking about their experiences very freely. I think with something like QAnon, there's still a lot of embarrassment. There's still a lot of, you know, nobody I know will talk to me anymore. How did I, how did I get here? I'm alone. And I think we are really in the very beginning stages of trying to figure out how to help people, uh, you know, how to help people get out of these movements and, and not backslide into them. Because th that's what happened at Pizzagate, right? Guy turns up an AR-15. Yeah, uh, realizes it's ridiculous. The place doesn't even have a basement. Never mind a basement where they're keeping children and doing these horrible yeah. things. And walks out with his hands up. Yeah, I think with, with him, he realized that I've I I was fooled. I've been had. Um, I fell for this, and there's nothing here. And it goes back to that human desire to not want to feel like you are a fool, to not want to feel like you got tricked or scammed people stay in these kinds of movements because it's, it's in some ways it's easier than going back to your family and friends and saying, yeah, you were right. This was a con and I wasted my time and I'm sorry. That's a really, really difficult thing to do. And that's where the idea of not belittling these people, not mocking them as ridiculous as some of this stuff is belittling people and kind of, you know, trying to insult them out of this. It only drives people deeper into it. And that, that's something that I see happening, again, from the outside looking in here in Ireland, that, like, you know, something like a Trump rally. We'll get journalists going to Trump rallies, and mm -hmm. we, we call it taking the piss here, Mike. But mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of mocking people to their faces a little bit that are there to support Trump. That, right. just, that just pushes people further and further away from any possible sense of engagement, right? I really think it does. I, and I, I so understand the appeal of going to these rallies and like confronting these people, and like mocking their, their ridiculous beliefs. But to these people, it's not ridiculous. It's their life. And th there's, they're not in on the joke. It's not a joke to them. It's real. And I, the hardest thing to do is to treat these people with some kind of empathy because a lot of them, frankly, really don't deserve it. But <laughs> If, if you want them to come out of it, if it matters to you to get somebody close to you out of a movement like this, you've got to have some kind of sympathy for what drove them into it and what they get out of it that they're not getting for the rest of their life. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I appreciate the time. But Trump is only going to ramp this up, right? He's not. Uh, doesn't, he's seen a response he's getting. He's, he's walking out to the music and then saying, that's not the music. That's just library music. So... Mm -hmm. It's only it's only going to guess. It's only going to keep escalating, right? It is. It is absolutely going to keep escalating. Trump on Truth Social is unhinged, even in a way that he wasn't on Twitter. 
with Twitter, at least there was some kind of barrier of maybe it was people were around him and said, hey, Mr. President, you maybe don't want to tweet that. But with Truth Social, it's nothing but his fans. There's nobody else on Truth Social except diehard Trump people and the journalists who cover diehard Trump people, <laughs> um, which is a whole other problem. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's feeling like he's with people who are safe. And when you feel like you are with people who are safe, your guard's going to drop a little bit. And maybe you're going to say that thing that you're not going to say in public. Now, with Trump, you know, there's so little separation between private Trump and public Trump. But this is going to get worse. This is going to escalate as the midterms approach and then as 2024 approaches. And I really don't have any expectation that he will not run. I think he'll run again. And if he runs again, it'll be the presumptive nominee. And we're just going to go through this again, louder and dumber for everybody involved. How do you think the media should cover us? What's the best way of covering us? It's, it's really hard because there is that tendency to gawk at it and say, oh, you won't believe the stupid thing two believers did this week. And I don't find that to be helpful at all. I think with Trump, you have to cover that he's saying this, but I think you have to cover why he's saying it. What is he getting out of this? What is the relationship that he has to these people? What are these people going to do when he, when he says these kinds of things? I think just writing it off as, oh, he's on a bender tonight, that doesn't help anybody because he's he's clearly doing this for a reason. You know, people, everybody does things for reasons. You know, even Trump, who seems completely, you know, a slave to his id, he he does things for a reason. There's a purpose behind it. So trying to figure out what that purpose is, how do we counter this to the people who are vulnerable to the messages is, is, is very important. And I think just seeing it for what it is, these are the statements of a demagogue. It's no different than when a you know a fringe candidate would go on the radio in the 30s and say anti-Semitic things. It's no different than a self-published pamphlet in the 1960s. These things get through to people. People want to hear these things. And I think understanding what it is that people get out of this and why it matters to them is really the best way we can cover Trump and QAnon right now. I think you're dead right, Mike. Thanks so much for the time.